As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention deans anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, national writer at The Athletic. Sadly, not coming to you live, not coming to you from Vegas, although no offense that the sad part is only on the work side. I'm home. I'm very happy about that. I'm here with Blake Murphy, esteemed Raptors beat writer. My guy, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Doing great. And as always, Fred Katz. Fred, you are also uh, back on the home front. We, we listen, we hadn't traveled for a very long time. And then you venture out and then you get used to the stuff that you are used to, but then a very different landscape as well. Of course, masking up again and navigating the world as it is right now. What is your headspace, my friend? You doing okay? I'm alive. I'm testing negative. It was wonderful to see you in Vegas. I immediately came home before I ate anything. I just had somebody stick a thing up my nose to make sure that I was going <laughs> to live through the week. And I was, it, it was, uh, it, it was nice to, even though the world remains horrifying, it was nice to, uh, you know, be able to be out in Vegas and see everybody and have a good time. With super producer, uh, Andrew Schlecht on the show, I think Andrew for the pod teaser in little graph that you write up. It should just be the world is still horrifying. That should be what draws people in. I'm sure that'll, that'll get them clicks. Um, no, it is good to be home. And I joked off air before we dive in here, guys, about, uh, so it's on my side of the country. It's about 9 a.m. recording here on a Monday. And, uh, and as I, I came to join you guys, I'm thinking to myself, all right, by 9 a.m., I've, I've cooked breakfast for three humans. I have uh, walked a dog. I have watered plants. I have paid a few bills. And then I'm joining you. Now, by 9 a.m. in Vegas, I was 
typically on like hour number five of sleep and it was a very different routine. So it's good to be back to normal a little bit. You guys, I think can relate. Yes. No. Oh, by 9am in Vegas, I had been very productive. I'd already taken an Advil. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about summer league, of course. Yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, I, I did never quite adjusted to the time difference. So no matter how late I went to bed, my body was just like by 7 a.m. at the latest, just like, you're up, man. Um, got to have breakfast with John Hollinger. Ran there you into, go. Uh, I don't know if you guys went to the Starbucks at Aria at all, but that was I like, did. like Amari Stoudemire had gone full blogger and three mornings in a row taken up a huge amount of space just like using the free Wi-Fi and slowly sipping a coffee while he worked on his laptop. So uh, that's more what my mornings were like. Um, I'm already trying to get them subs. Is that one? Yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's that was a, I had a rookie move or a rookie mistake on that front. I, I kept going to the Starbucks in the nearby mall, the Crystal Mall, I think it's called. And it was good in terms of space to yourself, but it did not have that kind of a esteemed NBA crowd. Um, part of the fact that you know, and I guess we we are going to spend part of the pod reflecting on summer league in general. Is that we stayed at the Aria, which was something that our company had, had designed. And typically, I'm a Marriott guy. I'd be over off this trip at Renaissance. The Aria, I will say, from a work standpoint, was fantastic in terms of you couldn't go, you know, 90 seconds walking through the casino or the lobby without bumping into somebody. You had to kind of be ready to be on at all times. I, I had one particular little jaunt one day where I was actually waiting for Fred. He was going to be nice enough to take me over to the games. And he says, Hey, give me about 15 minutes. So I wander out to the pool simply because I hadn't ever seen it. And I was checking out the, uh, the, the property and I see the uh, Ray Ritter from the Warriors, uh, PR man. And, and I'm talking to Ray for a minute. We walk, a, you know, a couple hundred yards and, and then there's Draymond Green, catch up with Draymond a little bit. As I'm talking to Draymond, Rob Palenka, Lakers GM rolls by. And, and so in that sense, it was good. You didn't even necessarily have to go to the gym to uh, to see people who matter in our world. Was Draymond still wearing his gold medal at the pool because he was wearing it around the arena? Was he really? I didn't know that. He was yeah. not. He did not have gold medal in hand. Um, he did look super weary with good reason. He had just gotten in from Tokyo. Uh, my favorite part of our chat, um, not to go in the weeds too much, but was I had done a, a phone interview with Draymond probably six weeks ago that was really good. And, and at the end of that interview... Not typically the kind of thing I do, but but he and I are fairly friendly, and 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 so as we finished this interview on the phone, my my sons had gotten home and they were banging on the doorbell and making a ton of noise, and Draymond's like, "Yo, what is going on at your house?" So the boys roll into the house, and I actually had said, "Hey, you know, guys, I got Draymond on the phone. You want to say hello?" And he was nice enough to say hi to my kids. And as I did it, the part he never knew is that I had hit the mute button to tell them that they should make sure they sound excited, except that my dirty little secret is my sons are not the biggest basketball fans. And so the the youngest one was playing with our puppy, couldn't be bothered to talk to Draymond Green. Uh, so on the back end, I threw my kid under the bus and I told Draymond like, yo, like they were not feeling it. I, I, I'm doing something wrong here, man. So it was fun. You're right. You have been more productive in, at home. Haven't thrown your kid once under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> No, I did. You're a more moral upstanding person when you're at the home front. Right, right, right. (laughs) All right, guys, on today's show, we're going to unpack a lot of the offseason. But certainly with Blake being on, we want to dive down all things Raptors. You know, we're going to talk about everything from which team we think improved most, which teams are new contenders. Did anybody move out of contention? Most overrated acquisition of the offseason rookie that we think will make the biggest impact 
what player, last but not least, is poised to break out? Um, Fred, I feel like, as always, you have been the one coming very equipped, very prepared. We're going to start with you um, because you don't have hot takes. You have informed opinions. That's why people love you. Let's start with with what team improved the most. How do you see this situation? Feel free to – I don't think it's going to be the Raptors, but with Blake being here, you know, who knows? What do you think? Well, well, the Raptors got bonga. So, <laughs> so I think it's pretty clear that the answer is them. Uh, no, no I – so I think the obvious answer is Miami, but but in terms of just the team that improved the most, they bring in Kyle Lowry. Um, you know that's obviously a huge move for them. They bring in PJ Tucker. They're capable of putting together these ridiculously burly and switchable defensive lineups with Lowry and Tucker and Bam Adebayo, who can guard everybody under the sun, and Jimmy Butler, who can do the same. And they're just going to be able to switch like crazy. They're incredibly stout defensively, and and I just. I, that's going to be an incredibly good team. I I kind of think Golden State might be the answer though, and it's not necessarily because of any moves. I I, I like the auto yeah yeah I like the auto Porter move for them. I I think as long as you know caveat auto Porter has to come in in shape. That's a very important thing. But if he comes in in shape, I think basketball wise he's a great fit for them. He still shoots incredibly well. He can still be a sound team defender. I like the Bealitsa move for them. I think that's something that makes intuitive sense for them if he's going to hit 38% of his threes or something like that. And that is not why I'm picking them. I'm picking them because of Clay Thompson. And if he comes back, he's 85, 90% of Clay Thompson, which I feel like he might be. I mean, he's a skill-based player, not a guy who's, you know, dunking on everybody left and right. We've seen guys come back from Achilles from ACLs and and be okay. Uh, I just if you've got Draymond and Clay and Steph, I still think that's an incredible core. They've got decent young role players around them. I don't know what Kuminga and uh, and and Monk are going to be like. I mean, rookies rarely ever contribute, but if you can get something, I love Monk. Like if you can if you can get or, or I say I say Monk uh, Moody. I'm, I was moving on to the Lakers right. as the next one. Right, right. Um, but you know, I love I love Moody. I don't know if you're what you're going to get out of those guys. Uh, rookies rarely contribute, but. You know, if you get anything from those guys, you know, on top of the extra additions and Clay coming back healthy, I just I feel like that's a team that didn't make the playoffs last year and could easily make a huge leap into the, you know, the top four. I'm with you on that. I mean, the, the Warriors stuff is going to be we talked about it routinely with, with our guy, Anthony Slater, who's uh, who's not here, obviously, this week. But um, they the Clay factor is is going to make them must see TV from beginning to end, but not only because of him, but because of the fact that he's not probably coming back until more the January, February time of the year, at which point then it's going to be a day-to-day evaluation of how does he look. I think a lot of pressure on him, which I don't love from a kind of human standpoint. You know, we've seen guys who feel like, you know, a lot of weight to get back to themselves too quickly. And you certainly hope that you don't re-injure anything with that kind of an approach. But within that, you're developing, you know, the Wisemans and the Moody's and the Kamingas and and Steve Kerr continues with, uh, you know, a new interesting chapter in his coaching career where the development side is, has been a major focus, you know, obviously with Kenny Atkinson coming on their staff and things like that. Um, they didn't, as we know, go down that all in, you know, let, let's go get a, a fourth future Hall of Famer approach that we've seen before with KD. And, and it, you know, the human part of it that I think is interesting is with Steph, Draymond and Clay, you know, behind the scenes, as our Marcus Thompson had written, they, you know, their their vote was go get one more, whether it was a find a way to get Bradley Beal here or something like that. So they didn't do that. We don't anticipate them doing that before the start of the season. 
and you're going to have this old new mixture that is pretty unique. And and the other thing that I think is really interesting in regards to Wiseman, it's like his his role was more complicated at the start of last year. They were kind of asking him to do stuff. They wanted him shooting threes. They wanted him doing some stuff creating and that kind of stuff for himself. I think especially with Clayback, it's going to be so much easier to simplify his role this year. Just set screens, roll to the hoop, get your putbacks, get your dump offs and your lobs and everything along those lines. He's going to have more experience. He's going to be able to at least understand the flow and the speed of the game better than he did right off the start of last year when he had only played three collegiate games. And and it, it I mean, that's just a massive jump in terms of speed of the game for someone like him. I think simplifying his role is, is something that could really help him. And if those, you know, three stars end up staying healthy for the year, uh, that's going to be a lot easier to do than it was when he was a rookie. Apologies, because I know you guys and I understand there's a very small amount of news I was trying to cooperate with. We have our guy Sham Sharania hitting me up here. Um, can maybe share that in a, in a few minutes here. Blake, uh, a lot to dive in. You know, we, we always tend to gravitate to the West. So bring us back to the East, man. What uh, or wherever, wherever you want to go. How do you see in terms of which teams got better? Yeah, I just I want to follow up uh, on, on one thing about the the Warriors development side there. Um, not only Kenny Atkinson, but they plucked Jama Malalela from the Raptors organization. Right. Um, he coached the 905 for a couple seasons. He's had a huge hand in their player development um, staff over this entire era. He was one of the longest tenured people in the entire organization uh, before he left. And he's a guy that, you know, every one of these player success stories that the Raptors have had, you know, they shout out or point out JAMA and his influence that he's had. You know, Norman Powell on the trade deadline said that he was fine emotionally until he saw JAMA and then he broke down and cried. Um, that's how much JAMA's meant to the player development success the Raptors have had. So uh, I think that's a really sharp hire as Golden State tries to do maybe a better job of contending now while also you know, paying mind to, hey, we need guys to fill in spots next year or three years down the line or whatever. Um, so I think that addition's a, a pretty meaningful one for Golden State as well. No question. And I should say, I mean, I think once the Raptors fans hear that, that you know, Blake Murphy's on the pod, they're going to stay till the end to hear every ounce of wisdom that you're bringing. But we will probably unpack uh, at the back end of this, the Pascal Siakam landscape. I wrote about it today. You guys have written about it a lot. And and the looming question of, is it real or not, that that he might be on the move. So we'll get into that later on as well. Um, for me, guys, in terms of teams that got better, it, it partly it's a question of how do we f- define better? If you're simply talking about you know their record last year versus what I think they could be this year, uh, I'm probably going to go with Chicago. I know there's a lot of folks who don't like what they did. And I had some interesting conversations with people in Vegas about the context of taking the kind of approach that they did when you're adding a Lonzo ball and a DeMar DeRozan and guys like that, you know, as opposed to, you know, that is a, it's a short-term play, not, not the Lonzo part, but I mean, DeMar certainly is, is a vet who, you know, is, is still in his prime, but you don't know how many good years he has left. Um, it puts a lot of pressure on the front office. You know, Arturis Karnasivas coming over from Denver has now, I think, changed the the timeline of what they're doing. And, and it's become a little bit of an instables type of dynamic where um, we'll see if it works. And and so a, a lot of moving pieces there and, and we'll see if it does unfold the way they hope. But in terms of just adding good basketball players and, and changing what they had from before, uh, I do like what they did. I should just... Sam, where do you think they are in the East? Um, 
As I cheat and pull up and continue to navigate this other situation, apologies, trying not to be distracted. I mean, so they, they you know, barely missing the play in last year by a couple of games, 31 and 41. You know, I mean, the East is parity abounds in the East. So in that respect, they're, they're on, I mean, they're on the bottom half. So if you, you know, are, are getting into the playoffs, improving by eight or nine games, which, you know, is about what it would take, I think. I mean, they're certainly on the bottom half. They're not a top four team. They're not a top six team. Um, but, you know, I, I I do believe in Billy Donovan. I think that he continues to show that that he is a guy who can develop and also work with veterans. But, you know, I would say in that six to, to eight range, most likely. And that's going to be a really competitive range, too, I think. Um, you know, you, you can tier the East however you want and maybe five to ten or, or six to nine or, or wherever you want to draw the lines should be really competitive. Uh, before we came on, I took kind of the Vegas win over-unders for the year and compared them to how many games each team won last year. And Vegas is very high on the improvements the Bulls made. Uh, they think the Pacers will be better. And they think Boston and Toronto had two of the biggest jumps. Now, for Toronto, a lot of that is, well, everything that possibly went wrong, that possibly could go wrong, went wrong last year. Um, so they're a team that, like, I on paper, they really haven't added anything. Like, Drogic, Achua, and their draft picks is not like a crazy trade or free agency ad, but um, simply returning home and not getting, not having half your team get wiped out with COVID and then not tanking the last month of the season uh, should bump them back to to relevance in that race, I think, as well. Yeah, I mean, there are so many teams in that range. I mean, the pay, like you when you're just talking contending for the play-in tournament, the Pacers are in that range. Boston was seven last year. I think they'll probably be better just because everything won't go disastrously wrong for them. And they added Horford. I, I don't they they might have the worst shooting guards in the league, but those guys are going to defend like crazy. Like healthy Chris Dunn and Marcus Smart. I, those guys are going to defend. I mean, Schroeder had a nice defensive season last year, I thought, and and, and was good playing with two other guards in uh in Oklahoma City the previous season. Like those, those guys are are going to defend at the guard position at least. And and then you got the Wizards made a million and seven moves. The Pacers are always trying to win. Like that, the Bulls got better and were 31 and 41 last year. And certainly they're better than they were last year. So they're just a, a gazillion teams. I mean, I think the Cavs are going to try to win. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we'll see what happens with like Charlotte. I mean, if, Lame- what if Lamelo comes out and he's just awesome. Like what if Lamelo is just an all-star caliber player this year? I mean, that's... That's that's going to be a tough team to try to keep out of the playoffs too, so or the play-in, I should say. So that that whole range is like I don't know how that's going to go, but it's tough. The Nets, and then there's, no, the, I, and then there's the Orlando Magic. <laughs> might might be yeah, headed for like twelve and seventy, yeah. right? Yeah, there's basically like a top five or six in the East, and then everyone else, and then the Magic, and then like kind of the Pistons, and then the Magic. I like the Pistons' young players though. The Nets, I was going to say, they, I feel like they fill a lane all their own, and so you you evaluate them differently because you're starting with with you know some of the best players in the history of the game. But uh, big time, Patty Mills advocate here, so I like that move a lot. And I feel like you know you're talking now with Joe Harris and Patty Mills. I mean, that's devastating. You're trying to guard those three guys if they're healthy. Major if, all caps, bold, underlined. But if they're healthy, um, I like the Patty Mills addition. They obviously moved off of Landry Shamit, who goes to Phoenix. 
you know, and and I I think with Patty though, you just saw in the Olympics uh, what he can do, and he's one of those guys. I not till I started covering international basketball years ago did I start appreciating, you know, the the nuance of guys like Patty Mills. He's kind of the poster boy for this, where you just forget how incredibly good these guys are, and 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 the idea that if they were put in a different context, that you know they too could be stars, and you see that. Um, you know, all over the place. And yeah, so I think the, the Patty Mills edition is good. Brooklyn's going to be scary. I, and as an aside, have we ever had a year like this where I feel like both participants in the NBA finals, you know, were almost instantly overlooked when it comes to the analysis of the next season? You know what I mean? Where in Milwaukee, it was a nice job. Bucks, uh, amazing run. But Brooklyn wasn't healthy, and they're going to be healthy again. And then in the West with Phoenix, you know, pick your team. But it, the Suns don't come to mind first when people talk about West uh, defending champions. I mean, kind of, kind of Toronto and Golden State, but that yeah. was for different reasons. Uh, you know, Kawhi leaves, KD leaves, Clay's right, hurt. but these teams are still intact. You know, other than yes, PJ Tucker sure. and you know a few, a few other pieces, but. No, for sure. Brooklyn is going to be dangerous. Let's move on in the old list here. Any new contenders that come to mind, guys? You know, teams that that uh, that were not part of that elite conversation or even playoff conversation last year that that you'd think are going to be in the thick of it right now. Yeah, I mean, Fred kind of kind of teed it up earlier. I, I think we can probably bump Miami to that top tier of the East, or or if not the the top three there with Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee, very much so heading up the second tier. Um, I think I think they're in the mix there when you look ahead to what an optimized version of that team could look like after a season together um, with Spolstra and with kind of the mind meld that that Lowry and Butler and Bam could have and some of the tools they have there. Um, and then, I mean, the, the Lakers are going to be better by virtue of health and stuff like that, probably. Um, it, it was a little weird to, for them to be kind of an also ran all year. Um and then, yeah, I mean, Fred already checked everything off. Right? You checked everything off. Golden State, too, obviously, coming from play and status to, you know, if they're even reasonably healthy. If Summer League hype is to be believed, I'm putting the Rockets in the thick of things, man. Jalen Green, he's going to be on an all-star team. And, uh, you know, but, it, 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 you know, you see teams like that where, you know, good young pieces and, and hype and buzz and positivity this time of year, and they should soak it up and then – you know, and, and from a kind of spirit standpoint, it's got to be challenging. Uh, I know this is not necessarily answering this particular question, but, you know, for a young coach like Steven Silas, you're, you're trying to, you know, to to take this positivity and then carry the mood as far as you possibly can in the face of what is going to be, you know, another tough year. And there's a lot of teams like that where the draft showed us and Summer League showed us that it might be going in the right direction, but still a ways off from actual contention. Uh, you know, I don't know who I would put in that group. As I look at the West, honestly, you know, I, I got thoughts about New Orleans that that I think either stayed stagnant or, or maybe even went backwards. Um, you know, I don't know where they land in the mix of things. You know, I don't see any of the also rands from the West last year necessarily jumping up, uh, you know, and in the East, um, probably a good excuse to maybe talk about your Raptors a little bit, Blake. You know, how do you see and they're not going to have Siakam for quite some time with that shoulder surgery. Um, they pick up Scotty Barnes, you know, and, and and they're trying to form this new chapter post Kawhi and now post Kyle Lowry. Masai Ujiri resigns, which I know guarantee you, you know, made Raptors fans very happy working with Bobby Webster in that front office. But but where do you think your team uh, falls here? 
Yeah, I mean, I think they're probably in that that next tier in the East. I, I think you look at this team and everything that had to go the opposite way for them to be as bad as they were last year. And, and like, you know, it's not just the displacement and the COVID and stuff. They also had to try to lose the lot. Like after all that stuff happened, they were still too close to the play in situation for comfort. So um, I don't think it's going to take a ton for them to get back to being you know, reasonably good and feisty and annoying that that kind of brand of Raptors basketball. And you look at the starters and, you know, once he's healthy, you have that Van Vliet and an OBC Occam core, which we know is going to defend like hell. Um, you know, Van Vliet and Siakam kind of entering their peak phase on the development curve and OG still showing some upside. You know, the Trent deal was an overpay and the player option felt a little unnecessary, but he's a 22 year old who can shoot. Um, so, you know, you can, you can figure out how to use that. And then I think, you know, it's not, they're not the sexiest of additions maybe, but having a full season of Ken Birch and Precious Achua instead of Aaron Baines and Alex Len and whoever's available in the G League or, you know, OG playing the five or Stanley Johnson playing like a point center, you know, there's a little bit more stability there. So I think, you know, I, I don't think the, the ceiling is, is crazy high, with this team this year, but I I think the floor is significantly higher than a year ago. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Stay on that track for me a little bit. Um, the Siakam stuff, and, and let's just pause on the next question to get into that a little bit. Because mm-hmm. listen, the fun part about Summer League was, A, I hadn't seen any of you guys in a very long time. Blake in particular, um, I think in the course of our time working together, I only saw you during the finals ever. That was probably the first time we met. I don't know. I think but, so. Yeah. And so got to, to spend some time with you out there. And here's, as, as a guy who's not there every day like you, here's what I came out of Vegas learning about the Siakam situation. For one, that he was still happy there and wanted to be there, which is overlooked a lot. Uh, these other situations in Philly, uncomfortable, right? Because Ben Simmons was destroyed publicly by his co-star to a lesser degree by his coach. And, and it's kind of the elephant in the room is that it feels like that thing has run its course. In Portland, Damian Lillard is obviously frustrated. So you have this level of frustration with these other star situations that does not appear to exist in Toronto, but I think we combo of media and fans were guilty of connecting dots that we assumed existed when it came to everything from, all right, Pascal had a run in with Nick Nurse last year that was widely publicized, you know, frustrated after a game against Cleveland, hadn't uh, played, I think, two fourth quarters in a row, you know, voiced his opinion that got out. So folks start saying, ah, oh, you got friction between the coach and, and you know, the star player that's going to come to mind. Then you've got the Scotty Barnes pickup in the draft, 
where, and this is the time of year where whenever you, you're trying to read the room with each team, you see a, a team take a certain pick that makes you wonder, do they value this other guy less because you have, you know, some overlap in what they do, but um, walked out looking at the situation differently than I had going in. Uh, how do you see it? I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. And, and the, sorry to keep going on here, but the last thing is the shoulder surgery guys don't typically get traded when they're hurt, which somebody pointed out to me was pretty obvious. So how do you see it? Yeah. I mean, the shoulder injury was, it was kind of a, not only that, but the whole situation was just like a bit of a red flag when all this stuff started getting leaked. I'm like, I was just kind of thinking like, man, it would be very counter to how this front office has operated in trade to sell at the absolute bottom of someone's value. Like coming off of a season where he had COVID, the team underperformed. He had these outlier negative clutch stats, um, you know, some some negative regression in his three point shot, even though he had a couple seasons of good sample um, with that shot. And then the shoulder surgery, you know, you almost couldn't put together a worst time to trade Pascal Siakam. So um, I was a little skeptical about it for, for those reasons. You know, I think the, the whole, the Raptors don't leak thing is a little overstated by Raptors fans, but I do think that, you know, in this case, it was a lot of other teams are kicking the tires and see if the rap, you know, Hey, how fractured is that relationship? How down are you on him after giving him, giving him the, the 28% kind of super max kicker instead of just a straight max, um, but yeah, I, I never really got the feeling that it was imminent or anything like that. I, I didn't think the Scotty Barnes pick was necessarily related. Um, you know, the Raptors have been pretty clear. They're taking a long-term view with this. And with a guy like Barnes, you know, you don't think this far ahead necessarily as a front office member, but, you know, barring him being really bad or wanting out, you've got nine years with this guy before he's a UFA. Um, so you can take a, a longer view there, especially with, you know, OG Trent, Malachi Flynn, Precious all being on the younger end of things. Um, but I think, you know, I, I Bobby Webster kind of like tongue in cheek talked about this and, you know, it's that it's the old joke of why don't you make the whole plane out of the black box? Um, it's, you know, he, he kind of quipped like, yeah, why don't we have a whole team of Siakams and OGs and everyone's big and everyone can handle and everyone can switch. And, um, you can't, you know, you can't take that to its full extreme with a 17 man roster, but the Raptors have like 12 guys right now who fit that. So, um, there's a, there's a vision there, I think defensively. And in terms of if you don't have a number one offensively, Having a lot of guys with these multiplier skill sets, guys who can attack a close, work both sides of the pick and roll, make the next pass, um, and everyone can push off of rebounds and transition, you know, maybe they have a way to, to turn small advantages into easier offense since they don't really have that guy who can um, kind of break everyone down. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. You know, I, I could see if things don't go well this year, maybe you revisit it next summer when Siakam's value is a little higher, when he's 28 and you kind of know what your younger, the younger side of your core looks like. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's, there's lots of room for this relationship to continue. And I think, you know, knowing Siakam a little bit and hearing people around the team, and this isn't unique to Siakam, but I think it'll apply most to him. There's there's a little bit of feeling of unfinished business for some of the Raptors who've been around a little bit and displaced from Toronto and aren't super happy with how last year went. So I think they want a chance to kind of correct course too, and Siakam's a part of that. Yeah, I think that part was uh, underemphasized too. The Tampa thing in particular, you know, I didn't ever go out there to do any reporting last season. So you never got eyes on 
what that relocation looked like for them. And truthfully, all we ever heard about was kind of lighthearted material about how much Kyle enjoyed, you know, the golf courses in Florida, which, you know, doesn't talk about the families that, you know, didn't get to be with their their loved ones as often as possible. And with Pascal, again, the the message that was sent to me was that excited to be back in Toronto. And then and you talk about assumptions. I think anytime you have a championship team like that, that gets broken up, so to speak, starting with Kawhi and now Kyle being gone, then the assumption is that a guy like Pascalo, he must be looking at greener pastures and and telling them that, you know, get me to a better spot. That does not appear to be the case. So like you said, we'll see how this year goes and, and kind of take it from there. Yeah. And I, I was down in Tampa for two weeks at the start of the season. That was kind of before everything got figured out. Like guys are still in the process of like, do I bring my family down? And there were guys like I remember I had a conversation with one player at the hotel who had just gotten cut and he was like, well, like, thank God I didn't bring my daughter down. Um, so it right. was a it was a weird situation. And obviously they made the most of it, like the way they turned around that hotel facility into like something resembling the OVO Athletic Center was really impressive. But, you know, it's they really did feel like it was 72 road games. And I don't think. You know, you don't it's impossible to be like, oh, well, add five wins to their to their ledger because of that. But I think that stuff just kind of snowballed a little bit. And um, by the time, you know, the COVID, they they got back to 500. The COVID outbreak happens on the team and the coaching staff. Um, you know, suddenly everything derails with that one in 13 or one in 14 month. I think everyone was pretty open to the idea of like, let's pack it up unofficially. And, you right. know, suddenly Kyle's doing 36 holes every day instead of 18. And, um, <laughs> you know, that, that part was real. Kyle, Kyle <laughs> did enjoy the golf and I'm sure he'll continue to enjoy it in Miami. It also speaks to um, the, just the, the appetite everywhere else in the league, just for a high level young player. I know Pascal's not as young as he used to be, but that's part of this story too, I think, is that, it became a, all right, Dame's not asking out yet. Simmons, you know, the the Sixers appear to be setting that price extraordinarily high. And then it just became, who's next? Who can we go after? And, and even, you know, we all run into this at different times. I had done a, an interview on a Sacramento podcast with uh, my friends Deuce and Mo, and said to them casually that the Kings had a lot of interest in Pascal, but I only represented that, you know, that part of the equation, their interest. And, and it kind of snowballed from there, but you are seeing teams that, that have these packages that they are willing to talk about, like in the Kings case, kind of widely known, like, Hey, Buddy Hill, Marvin Bagley and, and a first, you know, what does that get you? It obviously doesn't get you Pascal, doesn't get you Simmons or a player like that. But, you know, there's only so many of these kinds of players. It's a testament to Pascal and what he's been able to do that, that again, while injured, he can kind of spark this kind of conversation. But, uh, but yeah, we don't see him moving. It's, it's one of those things that's, it's always funny, right? And every fan base does this, but it's like, you know, you, and you run into it a ton at the trade deadline where it's like, well, I don't want this guy anymore, but your team should give me a ton of stuff for it. And right. I think you run into that a little bit both ways where, you know, the Raptors fans who maybe want to move on from him, want the world from him and teams play people from other fan bases or, or other organizations, you know, really want him because they know he's good and they know last year was an outlier bad season, but they're only willing to pay the last season price tag. Um, right. And this is why trades are so hard and also why, you know, so much of our job is trying to sort through this stuff because, um, you know, you could probably say all 29 teams would love to have Pascal Siakam if the price was right. Like right. there's not a, 
you know, so sorting through that stuff. But I, I don't know. I thought your column today um, put a pretty good bow on it for now. Like this is this is where we're at. This is how they're entering the season. Right. They've got Bonga. They're fine. <laughs> no, the, the big question though, Fred, is, is, is Bonga going to take over Siakam's minutes? Is that the next drama in Toronto? Yes. Bonga's going to take over everyone's minutes. That's they're what makes go, Siakam expendable. They're going to go one on five just because they feel like it would be unfair to add four more guys next to Bonga. <laughs> all right, Fred, we, we gave you about eight or nine minutes of Raptors talk there, allowing you, although I think you came in fully prepared, uh, moving on here in our list of, of queries. Uh, what do you got for most overrated acquisition? Um, acquisition. I, I don't know why I pronounce that word. It's not an accusation. All right. Go ahead. It's all right. It's the off season. Is it? No, uh, we're not there yet. It, we're almost there. Yeah. We uh all right, so I'm I'm going with a with an umbrella of acquisitions. Okay. Which I've ranted about on this podcast before and I'm going to again. Uh I just can't believe everybody keeps paying non-exceptional centers. So it's just all the money for all the non-exceptional centers. Okay. It's it's such a Where are we going it, after Tice? Uh Nerlens Noel. Okay. I just, every year, teams give out around mid-level exception money for non-exceptional centers. And then a year later, they regret it. Sure. They give out three years, 41 million for Dwayne Dedman. And that's like, oh man, we got to get off of that. They give out uh, money to Mason Plumley, And then they have to use a second round pick with Plumley and drop down in the second round in order to dump him to Charlotte. Uh, they give out money. They give a player option to Montrez Harrell and Harrell canvases the market and decides, you know what, even though I know I'm picking this up to get traded, I'm still picking up the player option. Uh, it's just teams give out around mid-level money, give or take. And, and often, not always, often end up regretting it. One-year deals, fine. No problem. One-year deal is almost never going to really have any sort of ramification, you know, long-term negative ramification on your team. But we just keep seeing this. We see, and and I know there's a team option in the Noel deal and, and, and it's not an extraordinary amount of money, but it's just like, it's, it's a, it's a good way to hurt your flexibility, your future flexibility without an incredible reward. And, And this isn't, it's not an anti center position that I have. It's, it's it's an the issue is is more in the role than in the position. It's really hard to find a great center. If you have a great center, give them money. It's really hard to find a great center, but it's not incredibly difficult to find a fringe starter, solid, reliable backup who doesn't shoot threes. Uh, that's a price you can get. They're the running backs of the NBA right now. That that's a price that you can get. Uh, or I should say that's a role that you can get for a low price. You can go and you can you can find your Mitchell Robinson. You can find your Daniel Gafford. You can find that sort of role player who can plug in and not be incredibly expensive. And we see it happen every year with inexpensive players in that position. And yet teams continue to give out all this money. Like Daniel Tice is a good player. He is a good player, but you can you can get 80% of Daniel Tice production for 50% of the price. Look at how much we've uh, talked about Moses Brown this offseason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think that's more of an indictment on us not having lives than it is on anything else. But 
but yes, I mean, they're, they're just, you can get these kinds of players for significantly cheaper than what is being doled out for them. And, um, you know, it's, it's the same thing. It's just, it's just the same thing every year. And, and I just get confused as to why we, why we see it every, every year. So it's all of them. Well said. Did you and I was processing all that? Did you did you hit on Jared Allen at all? I didn't hit on Jared Allen because I haven't What's decided. What's your Jared yet Allen if, take? I haven't decided yet which category Jared Allen falls under because he is a really good player, but a hundred million dollars for a player like that is a lot. I feel like uh, the folks who like it default to you know you have kind of this average starting salary, which I don't know what that figure is, but but the idea that twenty a year is not exceptional uh, for a starter. But then as you've just highlighted, you know, shouldn't the question is, should we look at the center spot differently? I think, I think that contract is a bank on Jared Allen, the, the person, you know, that's, that's, that's a bank on Jared Allen is still really young. He's going to continue to get better. He's going to continue to work and he's going to continue to improve. And on the back end of this contract, when Jared Allen's 27 years old and he's a much better player, we're going to be looking at this and saying, man, we got a guy, you know, he develops a jump shot. His team defense gets even better. He continues to protect the rim, all the things he does well, you know, continues to be an awesome role man, all that kind of stuff. And, and you put him with a, with a point guard who can really take advantage of, of his screen setting and his diving and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, as he continues to get better, then you look back on it and you say, okay, well, you're now you're getting $27 million of production for this guy for 20. So I think that's a bet on what Jared Allen can become. I, I don't, I don't hate the Jared Allen one. Uh, I think it just kind of depends on if you think he's going to continue to get better, which is, which is reasonable. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well said, well said. Blake, you got any strong feelings here about most overrated? 
Yeah, I uh, I feel bad about it. He's long been one of my favorite players. Um, giving PJ Tucker two years with a player option in the second year at fourteen point four million total is tough at this stage. He's thirty six years old. He only shot thirty three point six percent on threes last year. Um, noisy numbers across two teams, but he was in the ninth percentile uh, in terms of EPM from dunks and threes. He, he just, and, and by the end of the playoff run, it was tough. It you know, you'd look at some of these, some of these lineups that they, that they had out there. And I was like, man, do they have to take PJ off? Like, like you stopped getting some of the offensive juice of playing small with PJ Tucker because the threes weren't dropping and his three point percentage dropped off even more in the playoffs. And I know they won a championship with him playing 30 minutes a game. Uh, so maybe you get him in Miami and he's playing 18, 20 minutes a game and it looks a little better and a little fresher. But uh, at 36 with the numbers trending the way they have the last little bit and the the friendly player option uh, in a year or two, I mean, look, it's a two-year deal for a contending team. It's probably not going to sink them or anything, but that one, the sticker price on that one was a little surprising. No, that's fair. I don't have any strong ones here, although if anything, I'm going to contradict myself because in the same breath that I had the Bulls out there as, as a team that got a lot better, I will say that just the contract that I'm curious to see how it looks in a few years and the career um, as, a, as an extension of that is Lonzo in Chicago. I just, you know, he got paid like a guy who, for the most part, had lived up to most of the billing coming in. And that has not been the case. He has improved, and certainly the shot has gotten a lot better. And we also, I think, in terms of the the conversation that surrounds him, we had to recalibrate a, a bit because it started, you know, with with LeVar and Magic and, and, and this whole, you know, like get a spot for Lonzo in the Hall of Fame type conversation in his rookie season and then everything that comes with being a Laker. And so that's been recalibrated. And he's a, a, a very good young player, but now I, I'm just dying to see, you know, in the same sense that, you know, I've hyped them up as a team that, that should and could get a lot better. Can he lead the way with that? Because we've talked before, well, last week with our guy, Will Guillory about the Pelicans and that, that interesting dynamic there where, you know, what was it about Lonzo that, that where they decided they weren't going to match and they were going to part ways with a guy who, whose rights they had. So in terms of just pressure, and and kind of questions around him about whether he can live up to this next contract. I think Lonzo is pretty interesting. Yeah, Sam, can I just point out that the I think the Bulls are fascinating. Yeah. Because I don't I don't know if other people agree with me, but I think the Bulls are fascinating and the greatest way to explain why is because you just named the Bulls as the first team in your most improved and then you also named their biggest <laughs> offseason move as the most overrated. Right. So Look, well, most, improved, most improved is not the same as most efficient dollar per win, right? Like they're No, right. it's it's definitely not. And you're hundred percent right. But that's what makes them really interesting. Cause they're 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 kind of locked into this group now. Right. With Damar and and they're gonna try to re-sign Levine, I assume. And uh you know, and with ball now and they got Caruso too. And well, and I, I hit on it better. before the front office part is interesting. I, you know, without sharing too much, like there was a young front office executive who I was talking to about the situation and through the mind of an exec. And this is a person who one day hopes to be a GM himself. The mentality was again, taking it back to Arturis was that, you know, there's two approaches here. If you're a young exec and you say, 
let me draft my core and, you know, maybe I can knock it out of the park, Sam Presti style and draft some MVPs and build like that. Then you have a long runway for yourself. You know what I mean? You can tell ownership, I'm going to need three, four, five years to get this thing moving. In Chicago, now it's, it's again, you got, they got to win now. I mean, you can't have a frustrated DeMar DeRozan and a frustrated Zach Levine, you know, and a, and a regressing Lonzo Ball at the end of the year. And if you do, then there's going to be an immense amount of pressure on the people who put them there. All right, moving on, gentlemen, as we near the tail end of this thing here. Rookie that will make the biggest impact. Fred told us off air how excited he was about this topic. Um, So, you know, naturally, I'm going to go to you first, Fred. What do you got? I have a boiling hot take. (laughs) Uh, Vegas hot. It's Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham. Sure. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that I would pick the number one overall pick? Were you, I didn't, admittedly, I didn't break down tape of him all through summer league. I saw some of his games, but, you know, early on, it seemed like the reaction was somewhat tepid with qualifiers about how he's the kind of guy who's always going to be better with a a better supporting cast around him. And because of that, summer league is not ideal to show. Neither are the Pistons. Right. Hey, now there it is. There it is. (laughs) So how does that, I mean, what did you, what were your takeaways on on what you saw uh, out there in Sin City? I mean, I think he has a really nice cadence. I think he, there were moments where I saw him where he tried to get, it wasn't a pun, but it should have been. (laughs) Uh, There were moments where I think he tried to get a little too fancy for sure. And, and would try to whip these crazy passes and thread needles and all that. But I, I honestly, is summer league ever a predictor? Like, are we sitting on this podcast talking about the addition of Josh Selby right now being the the move that changed this offseason? Right. So, summer league doesn't, uh, you know, it it doesn't really mean very much to me, to be honest. Fred, do you um, know who the all-time scoring leader for a rookie in summer league was or is? I would have guessed Josh Selby, but. Jared Bayless. Ah, uh, that wow. makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've so, seen some of those performances. Yes. Yeah. So don't go, don't go too crazy. And honestly, like the Cade efficiency stuff, like every top pick is shooting pretty inefficiently because most of these teams only have one or two guys the defenses need to worry about. And it's your first time playing live basketball in like an actual game setting since March. Like Mobley's true shooting percentage is like sub 40. Scotty Barnes has had some trouble finishing. Both the Jalens have had some trouble finishing. You know, it's not unique to Cade, I don't think. Yet, isn't it great from a media standpoint that year after year after year, we are guilty and it's never going to change of of actually taking away things from Summer League and and whether it's TV or print, so to speak, you know, I mean, you you have real conversations with, oh, so-and-so really got off to a bad start. I, I wonder if this team is regretting the move. You know, I mean, we, we do act like it matters and then we look back on it and feel silly. I was sitting with members of the Raptors front office for that one sequence where Jalen Suggs had a huge putback dunk and then Cole Anthony drew a charge the other direction. And I'm not misspeaking. Cole Anthony drew a charge. Um, and then like Suggs <laughs> and Anthony do this big chest bump. And uh, it was a little fun. And like that was the loudest I heard Thomas and Mac get the whole time, uh, the whole week. And it was a little amusing being with or sitting with a couple Raptors people when that happened. But yeah, no one's. No one's rewriting the. Uh, Did the they draft all say they regretted the move? They all said they. They, they, they all said immediately they they're trying yeah. to trade back. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Hey, as a quick aside, Blake, um, any thoughts that we might have talked about this uh, at the bar in Vegas? But 
you know, the the Jalen, I think we did, the Jalen Suggs um, subplot with the Raptors. What, if any, kind of insight do you have there on on where their heads were at regarding him versus Scotty? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I had got the impression for a little bit that the Raptors saw this draft tiered differently than uh, the public did. And, and I think that that was, you know, it probably leaned closer to it being a three-player draft for them than a four or five-player draft. Um, so, you know, they're not going to reach down a tier in that spot. But when it came Suggs to Barnes, if they have them in the same tier, you know, then it's more of a conversation. I think ideally they would have liked to trade it to have traded down. But, um, you know, Masai and Weltman are going to have a little trouble bluffing each other, given their relationship. Uh, and then there's a real risk if you trade down further. Barnes, your guy is off the board. Um, because the magic took him at five or whatever. So um, the impression that I've gotten is that this was more, I know there were some, there were some rumors out there on like Raptors Twitter and Reddit and stuff like that uh, about Suggs's workouts. And I, I've got the strong impression. This was more Scotty Barnes won that spot than Jalen Suggs lost it. And, you know, they loved both players from a toughness and winning a character perspective. And I think this front office has, uh, you know, back to our earlier conversation about the roster building, they're going to err on the side of size when you're you're picking between two guys, and that you know that creates a certain level of of floor, maybe, and certainly a, an easier defensive projection. Sure. Uh, but I think I think they were close. You know, there's a reason that I we did two staff mock drafts, and in one I had them taking Suggs, and in one I had them taking Barnes because I I wasn't a hundred percent sure, and right. I think they liked both of those guys as as I think any team would. You know, we're splitting hairs between the fourth and fifth best prospects in a very good draft. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to look a certain way this year when Suggs averages twice the points per game that Barnes does, but you know, three, four years, the Raptors are, are betting that Barnes's ceiling is just a little higher. Right. All right. Well, in the same sense that, uh, Fred had the hot take with the number one pick making the most impact. I will also stay on brand, um, and stick in Sacramento. I think Davion Mitchell might not have the most impact, but I, I do think his addition to that team is going to be fun to watch because I, yes, like we just said, summer league performances don't necessarily dictate the future and what we're going to see, but this dude just guards his ass off and it is fun to watch. And that is not something that you would have said about any Kings player last season. They were last in the league on that side of the floor. And then like I wrote in today's column, you've got this dynamic with the Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, where the Kings, you know, barring a big move that I don't think they're going to be able to find anytime soon, they they want to run a lot of three-point guard lineups and and I think not only make the most of Davion's defense, which he's 6-2, uh, you know, he guarded Cade pretty well when they they played each other twice last year, uh, missed each other once, but you know, that performance or performances against Cade, that played a part in the Kings calculus looking at him and his ability to guard up but beyond his own individual impact, you don't see this a lot to have, you know, a team hoping that a rookie can come help with their culture. Um, they are hoping that he does. They're hoping that he motivates De'Aaron even more as great of a year uh, that he, you know, best year he's had last year, 25 and seven. But he is a guy who just still he'll have two spectacular weeks and then he'll have a down 10 days. And, and they're hoping to find more consistency with him and then. Also, I think inspire him to to be the best defender he can be because when he first came out, 
Um, they were pretty excited about him on the defensive end of the floor. He's got the athleticism, the quickness. So there's kind of a, a ripple effect they're hoping happens because of the way that Davion is is made up. And obviously with, you know, championship credentials from the, the Baylor run. So I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I don't think he's going to be a rookie of the year, but he's going to definitely make an impact. Very on brand. Very on brand. I had to. Listen, this is what happens when you, when you go to the California Classic be in Sacramento before going to Vegas, your, your head is in a certain place. Yes. I've, you know, it was either the Kings or the Warriors, the two NorCal teams. I could have broken down Kaminga and talked about, you know, his ability to, uh, to, to be the next Kevin Durant on the Warriors, but that seemed like a, a little bit of a stretch. Kaminga had my favorite summer league, um, like it's my favorite summer league ism where there's always lots of chatter because people don't pay the best attention to the games because yeah. you know the outcomes don't matter that much. But then like you get this occasional hush when a big play feels like it's about to happen. And Kaminga had like three or four of those where he missed the dunk. And the like collective sigh in the arena was amazing where everyone right. everyone's like, oh wait, 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 grab the grab the person beside you. And then it's uh it's bounces off the back rim and flies 15 feet. <laughs> Blake, if you're picking somebody, who do you got on on rookie making an impact? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Warriors. I, I think Moses Moody is about the most translatable skill set if you're looking at guys who out of the gate can make an impact in, in a rotation for uh, you know for a, a team that has eyes on the playoffs. Uh, I'm a fan of Moody's game. I, I don't know, you know, ultimate upside wise, but I think he's a pretty safe translation for. Um, you know, secondary offensive skills, spot up shooting, defensive versatility. Uh, I think he'll have a role. And then the other guy is, you know, I spent enough time on draft Twitter that I, I got to point out Jaden Springer and Sharif Cooper, who, you know, maybe they're fighting it out for for G League MVP this year, depending on how those rotations go. Uh, but both of those guys, you know, their ability to get to the rim is going to find them ways onto the floor, I think, in second units or, or at least help them push for rotation spots. Right. There are G League head coaches and GMs who do not think about the G League as much as Blake does. <laughs> I just want to point that out. I don't know if our listeners know that. Look, man, I, Paul, I Paul just, Reed's in the process of turning a G League MVP into a Summer League MVP. Then he, all he's got left <laughs> is the NBA MVP to accomplish. That's it. Next up. Next up. Last but not least, we are... What we're doing is losing our screen, so now I lost the question. Last but not least, what player is poised? To break out, Fred Katz. Uh, you know, I thought about OG Ananobi because we had Blake on, but but I feel like he's he's too close to like I feel like you can make an argument he already broke out. Yeah, he's, like he'd lose most improved votes because his numbers quietly jumped too much last year. Right. He he's not improving enough. Like it's not the award isn't isn't who's the best player who improved. We do this every year. Yeah. Who's the, we always vote on who's the best player who improved when it's really who's supposed to be, who's the most improved, which is why I don't like the award because really the best way to make the argument sometimes is arguing that your candidate actually sucked last year. And that, <laughs> that is a stupid way to vote on an award. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm going miles bridges. He was so good at the end of the year for Charlotte. Uh, he so the last month and a half of the season, he was 21, 7, and 3, uh, 21 points, seven boards, three assists, um, 51% field goal shooting, 42% three-point shooting. And that was on seven and a half threes a game. Uh, the dude can chuck it. He's a tremendous athlete. He's a really good shot blocking wing. He has loads of defensive potential. I think he's a great fit 
next to LaMelo, who's just going to be kicking to him for threes all day. Uh, I, I kind of like what, what Charlotte's got going on They're They're going to be better next year. Cause I imagine guys like Bridges and LaMelo are just going to get better. Ubre is going to add an infusion of athleticism for them on the wings. Um, you know, Pl- Plumley is Plumley's a good player. I mean, you know, I talked about him being somebody who was dumped to Charlotte for a second rounder, but he's a he's a good player though. I mean, that's that's a nice addition for them, and I I like the consistency of replacing a Zeller with a Plumley. I think that's a really good transition for them. Uh, I just I think Bridges is he could be on his way to doing some really, really meaningful stuff. He's, he's an incredibly talented player. And, uh, he, he showed that at the end of last year. Admittedly, I'm not sure how much I believe my selection. I'm, I'm just also staying on brand to, to be uh, the West coast guy, Taylor Horton Tucker. Um, I'm just, I would put him in the category of just, I'm, I'm interested to watch how, first of all, any team with Russell Westbrook is going to make it tough for, for, you know, a young guy to emerge. Um, and I think you're adding, you know, with LeBron and AD, there's just not a lot of time to get your hands on the ball, but they commit a three-year, $32 million deal to him. And he's a guy that, that you know, there was a, a domino effect of the Alex Caruso free agency leading to Talon. I think once they were out on Alex, they knew they had a little more money for Talon. And the Lakers were managing their tax. They they were not of the mind that, that uh, you know, th- this is a blank check offseason. And so Talon ends up, getting, you know, that cash and now is going to be tasked with having to live up to it. And and with him, I always think back and I think Fred, I've said this on the pod before to the little bubble moment during the Lakers championship run in Orlando when we were at a Lakers, uh, Lakers practice and Talon was a guy that, that folks weren't paying much attention to. And Frank Vogel told a few of us reporters after a practice one day, he kind of shook his head as he was watching Talon play a pickup game. And, and he was like, man, this dude could start for me next year. I mean, he was really, really high on Talon. So that kind of belief from your coach now from the front office with the contract, you know, assuming he finds a way to make good on that. So I think he's just a pretty interesting guy to watch. Gentlemen, thank you very much. This was fun. We, uh, like we said, it's getting into the dog days of the summer. So we, uh, we gave folks something to listen to Blake. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you. It was great seeing you in Vegas, Fred. We will do it again soon. I think, uh, tampering is taking a week off next week. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but thank you boys. Appreciate it. 